Hello, beautiful people. My guest today is Dan Purcell. And I originally came in contact with Dan on Twitter. And once I found his profile, I started listening to his music and I was blown away. I couldn't stop listening to it. It was incredible and it is incredible. And Dan is a musician, writer, storyteller. And we got into all of that. We got into his process, storytelling. And I had a really enjoyable conversation with Dan and learned a lot. I hope you do as well. If you have any thoughts or feedback about the episode, let me know on Twitter at HeyDannyMiranda. Looking forward to hearing from you and your thoughts on the episode. And until then, this is my conversation with Dan Purcell. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. Dan, first of all, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm a huge fan of your music and I'm excited for the conversation that's about to unfold. I am most definitely humbled by by your ask for me to be on this podcast, only just because I'm a listener, and so I would listen to the, the episodes with the people that like I follow and stuff, so I've, I've listened to the stuff with, with Harrison and like his, his adventures as uh, Logic and John Billion's uh, manager, and then David Perel, who's like the most maybe the most prolific uh non-fiction writer of our generation <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i appreciate you listening and those you know it's really cool to have you in the fold as well and because i discovered you through twi- twitter some way and mm-hmm. you know i just started listening to your music and i was like damn this stuff is amazing but you know as i've dived into your story more one of the things that has really surprised me about you is that you didn't know you were going to go down the path of music right away and no. right after college. And I think that that is something that I think more people need to hear in the sense mm-hmm. of we we believe we have to be on this path, right? And so yeah. talk to me about how you've thought about your career, quote unquote career, and how you've thought about navigating through what you see yourself doing? Yeah. Such a big question, navigating your career. And I think people like to almost like, they stand in front of like words like that, like career and they, Mm -hmm. and they're in shock and they're like, Oh man, (laughs) what now? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Um, And we often like, I think we put pressure on, on people to know their career and understand their career so early on. Um, And that can be challenging, especially when people don't know what they want to do. Um, I've been been supremely fortunate in terms of knowing exactly the kinds of stuff that I I really want to be doing with my life. Um, Ever since I was like a kid, I knew that I think I really had some sort of idea that I wanted to be involved in the arts whether or not it was music or film or visual art or any kind of other art like theater or something like that uh, was up for debate because I sort of bounced in between those things. And what I noticed was 
in finding similarities and differences between the different mediums, I noticed that the fundamental thing between them all that is shared is that everybody's trying to tell a story in the best and most efficient possible way. Um, and that was my huge takeaway from just living in the different mediums as I've, you know, I've done acting stuff. I've done, I've done visual arts stuff. That was like back in like high school and college and stuff. So, uh, understanding that everything on a fundamental level starts with the story and how to communicate that through the medium uh, really is the through line, I think, through my journey through uh, the arts and discovering that I'm actually supposed, instead of doing the things that I wanted to do when I was a kid, like in terms of like, I wanted to be a comic book artist. I wanted to be a video game concept designer. You know, um, I sort of ping ponged my way through and I realized that the most efficient storytelling medium for me was songwriting and music. So you obviously spent a lot of time thinking about how to tell a story, right? Because yeah. in all these different mediums, what makes a good story? Whew, that's a good question. Um, it's a really good question. <laughs> um, I don't think there's any one way, but I do believe that most of us are given somewhere between seven and 10 stories. And I think a lot of us in the world sort of gravitate towards three. And it's why we see the same stories sort of pop up again and again in popular culture, because there are a lot of the things that we can latch onto, resonate with, and sort of take away from as a collective. So like your hero's journeys, like uh, your your Star Wars is your Marvels, all those kinds of things where there's like these fantasy worlds and then there's these grounded heroes trying to go through and learn and grow and become um, who they believe that they hope to be. Um, and that's kind of uh, that's kind of one of the few handfuls of stories that people can tell. Um, but it's not the only ones. And I, I, I highly encourage this for anybody. Uh, trying to figure out how to express themselves through an artistic medium is really try and figure out what are the stories that you are gravitating towards and you feel compelled to tell and share um, because you're going to spend the rest of your life refining those stories down to the best possible versions of themselves. And you might, see, and you might think that they're perfect the way they are the first time around when you, when you put those things out, like, no doubt, uh, I'm going to revisit day by day uh, the EP as a whole and, and think to myself, oh, there's a new twist in the story that I had in my life that now changes the perspective of one of the songs entirely and mm. flips everything on its head and transforms and transforms the way that I think about it. And I could express the story in a new and exciting way and make it even more perfect than I thought it could ever become. So you're never finished with those stories. Yeah. When you said seven to 10 stories, why yeah. did you, how did you come up with that number? Um, I had read somewhere, I don't remember specifically where, but somebody said like seven stories, like there are seven big stories that we all kind of connect to and gravitate with. And that most people tell like on a subconscious level without uh, really understanding like as maybe the mechanics behind it. It's like that whole thing of like, um, have you ever read uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell? No, I have not. It's essentially what he guides you through in that book is this concept of the monomyth. And it, and it 
goes through these various stages of how the quote unquote protagonist or the hero um, grows and develops, hits the big low, finds the secret and then comes back and wins the fight and then returns home with the information that they gained. Everybody tells those stories on a subconscious level without even realizing that they're telling those stories. Um, and I think we're somewhere I read that we were given like seven stories or like mm -hmm. there are seven stories where people sort of connect with on, on like a very deep, like spiritual level. Um, and to me, I think that expands out to if you're a creator and if you're, you, you have almost sort of a wheelhouse of storytelling at your disposal, you have about, you're given like seven to 10 big things in your life that become the focus of your life. And then you hone in on those things and really try and really try to understand how you see the world through those stories. Something you mentioned before was that we should pay attention to the stories that gravitate we're gravitating towards. Yeah. What are some of those for you? Ooh. Um, I, I don't think I've discovered them all, but um, a couple that I have really kept very close and I think I've been able to refine over the years is one of them is the concept of grief and one of them is the concept of hope. Um, grief in the sense that you know, we have these journeys of, of, of sort of going through the world and finding people who are our people and then losing touch with them or losing them, uh, be it like through a death or through just separation. Um, and we, as a result of that, uh, sort of just enter this like tumultuous phase where we're grappling with our relationship to that of like of of time passing and 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 growing into something that's completely completely new and different and i think i gravitate towards that a lot because there's a lot of change and interesting momentum that characters can go through when they're when they're experiencing grief i wrote a whole <laughs> i wrote an a cappella jukebox musical um in film school uh, called stages for my for my college acapella group at the capella and uh, it was it, it was tracing the five stages of grief that somebody might go through when they break up with somebody and how they discover that mm, maybe it's not just necessarily it's not necessarily the outside forces that are causing me to have these issues but like the in inner forces and that are dictating my life and maybe I can come out of this stronger than I was before um, and then I wrote a really silly comedy about this private eye gumshoe detective from like 1945 who gets locked in a freezer and is frozen 70 years into the future and wakes up and all of a sudden his world is completely shifted. All the people in his life that he once knew are gone or old. Um, so he has to handle, and it really becomes like this meditation on grief and understanding like, I have to move on. I have to learn how to move on with new sets of people around me, new experiences, new things, and being able to embrace that and understand that like, this is this is just the natural process of how we live and how we go through the world. We have to we have to keep going in the face of very challenging obstacles like losing loved ones. And you also mentioned hope as a story. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they go hand in hand a little bit. Like um, 
with the day-by-day EP, for example, um, a lot of that is a journey of my relationship with time as it, as it, as it pertains to my childhood and how chasing a specific thing uh, as you grow up and then you get out of college and you're kind of in this new world and then suddenly there's just this massive question of what next going back to the whole career thing mm-hmm. um you're suddenly faced with just a million different decisions and a million different paths you can take so you would you would think like oh i'm going to gravitate towards the things that sort of, i sort of held on to in my childhood but then you realize that those things have changed fundamentally mm-hmm. they shift like the way in which that you shift the way in which the world has shifted has caused you to look at those things from your childhood differently. You've lost loved ones. You've kind of, you kind of grappling with this sense of now all of these great, incredible memories that are so, that were so vivid in your head are just faded Polaroids on a wall somewhere. And then you really have to grapple with this idea of, wow, I was really so preoccupied with the future that I really was not holding on to the past as tightly as I wanted to. So in order to strike that balance, in order to find where the in-between is in terms of like the spark of hope that you can find to keep moving forward, you just have to take life one day at a time. And that's essentially the thesis statement of the whole thing of like, you ask yourself what my song is that I'm going to sing at the beginning with Find Your Song. And then by the end, you realize that the song that you're supposed to sing is you're supposed to take life one day at a time. And those stories that you're going to, you're going to eventually find the songs that you want to sing, they're going to come to you each day as you're offered the opportunity to do something. You don't know what, you don't know what, what it's going to be, but it's definitely going to be something. Yeah. It's really powerful. And I want to talk more about the EP, but you know, you brought up this concept of time and on a previous podcast, you spoke about, and you said something that made me stop. And I really, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak to you because it was one of those moments where I was like, damn, I wish he would expand on that. I wish he could, he could talk (laughs) about that where you said time is a lake. And just that thought (laughs) was like, what does that mean? Can you go deeper on that? And then you just went on to the next thing in the other podcast. So, so fun story, fun please. story. Um, time is a lake is actually kind of uh, a running joke <laughs> in another podcast that I listen to. Um, one of the hosts often just talks of like when they get to something existential, they'll just be like, oh, time is a lake. Move on, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> um, but I really find that fascinating in the sense that like, when you take a step back and you look at just the flow of the world and how we just are on one sort of current towards somewhere, there's still a lake of the past in the opposite direction. There's still a current and it's still flowing towards the direction of the future, right? Mm. And almost you can almost look at time and it's really, <laughs> it is really metaphysical and very hard to sort of comprehend, but the idea that there's that all of time is happening at the same time. So we're all kind of just swimming in this lake of one thing, you know? And so we're moving through the world in like this almost sort of infinite lake of just linear 
days. <laughs> and that and then when you when you get to the scope of something that huge, it's it terrifies you and it thrills you and it's you just don't know what that is. And so ultimately you realize, you know what? You can you can get to infinity, but you have to you just have to focus down on the one single day. <laughs> because trying to comprehend that is just so much. It is so much, uh, and <laughs> it's so. It, it can be. It can be challenging at times to sort of reckon with the idea of like we're just kind of swimming along this infinite lake, and we're just gonna vanish and just become like we're gonna come. We're gonna fall back into like the mud down at the bottom of the the the, the lake at one point. Like we're just gonna become the dust that we once were. You know. Um, so super existential stuff. Yeah. But, uh, when you, when you just have to, when you realize that that is where, that is where the, where everything is and how everything is moving, you just have to realize, you know what, I got to focus on the allotted amount of time that I have been given and, and try to make the best of it and be the steward of whatever gifts that I've been given in this life. Yeah. I think that's such a powerful way to put it. When do you, how do you think about the, you've, it seems like you're, you're always thinking about thinking and thinking about the way the world works. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that that is a function of being, living in America, living in a place where our basic um, food shelter is taken care of? Do you think that your because I think this way as well, do you think that your great 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 grandparents were also thinking this way? How do you think about all that? Uh, they might have been thinking this way, but I don't know if they were thinking this intentionally about it. I think we've been afforded a lot of opportunity. And um it is a great it is a great privilege the amount of opportunity that we have. Um, to be able to think about those things. And when you get existential like that, it's, uh, you suddenly realize how incredibly precious this life is and how, and how you just need to, you need to share not necessarily the big stuff with people, but just cherish the smaller things. Um, because those little small things eventually add up and make the whole sort of just this long story of our lives to to sort of end upon so what a privilege and an honor it is to be able to think about those things and figure out a way how, and help and help the uh, help have them help you orient your life in a manner um to where you can live with great intention it's beautifully said and you know i was just thinking as you were saying that how we don't ever think that existentially when we are on a long run and we can't get our breath or when, mm -hmm. you know, we're really under stress in some way. Yeah. It's only when we're sitting here in the comfort of our home and we're talking on this, but at the same time, I think there's a huge place for it, you know? Um, yeah. So, but bringing it back, I guess, to you and bringing mm -hmm. it back to your creative process because I've been enjoying your music now for, I don't know, ever since we got in contact, maybe last month or so. Thank you. And 
and loving it. And I'm so curious what that creative process looks like. I'm sure it's different for every song, but break break down in general what the creative process is like. So I don't necessarily know if I have a strict process in the sense that like I have habits that I've set up. Um, and maybe it's, and, and maybe it's not necessarily, maybe they are habits, but there are things that I don't consciously think of because they're so muscle memory at this point. Um, but I mean, with the opportunity of the pandemic, I have been afforded the chance to be able to work from home uh, for my main job. Um, so I work remotely And then when I take breaks, I have the opportunity to walk around my neighborhood and just think, listen to podcasts, just, and, and do that kind of stuff. And a lot of the ideas that come to me come on walks. They've also come in the shower. Usually when, when I have time to just sit and sort of dwell on my thoughts and, and what things come in and out. And that's when really I'm able to meet and, and sort of interface with, uh, with, the divine at this point. Cause I, cause I fundamentally think that these songs don't come from me. Um, I may be the vehicle for them, but I don't think they come from me. They come from some sort of divine well that, that, that God has granted me access to, you know? Um, so I just sort of be receptive to when the ideas show up at my door. And being able to habitually set yourself up to be receptive is a challenging thing because it because you have to wade through all of the other thoughts. And that can be really challenging if you're not one to really focus on yourself and if you're more extroverted person as opposed to an introverted person. But I think what is interesting about what all of this time inside that we've all shared is, is that I think we've all kind of got a little bit existential as a result. Um, and we have started to understand the things in life that I think we really want to hold on to and, 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 and take hold of and, and, and hold closely. Um, and I would recommend that people sort of take that as a means to guide guide themselves towards understanding maybe themselves on a, on a level where they're writing in journals and, and thinking about thinking about their life and their relationships with other people. Um, As for my actual recording process, um, it really, it really differs. Um, Usually I focus primarily on rhythm. Rhythm is like the foundation of what I do in anything. So whether or not it is a guitar strum or specific kind of riff or, um, I, I usually come up with drums and bass off the top. Like I need to make sure that those are locked in first before I do anything else. And I think that sort of lends to this idea that like, I am, uh, at heart, like, a, like a long, long time ago in kindergarten class, this acapella group came and taught everybody how to beatbox. Um, they would perform and then they taught the whole class how to do the <laughs> kind of thing. Um, that every acapella group somehow knows how to teach specifically. Um, and for me, it was one of those things where that took hold and became sort of a, a social tick where I would just do that to myself. And it would be something like I, I would have like all, spe- I would have specific social ticks that I would do. Like I would spin things a lot as a kid. Um, but adapting beatboxing became like a social tick. So it eventually got to the point where like in middle school I was beatboxing for kids and they were like, Oh, that's pretty cool. 
this and and this was the only thing that I did performing wise. I didn't know how to sing at that point, or I didn't know how to sing well. Um, anything that I really knew how to sing was sort of just uh, <laughs> translated from me trying to understand and mimic the voices that I would hear listening to music. So like your Bonos, your Haley Williams, your uh, your Isaac Slade from the phrase, your John Mayers, all that kind of stuff. Um, I would just mimic them and try and and try and emulate their voices. And eventually I would sort of get to an amalgamation of what sounds like my voice uh, that way. But beatboxing was really the foundation of what, uh, of, of everything that I did. And it's sort of translated over to my songwriting process in the sense that I got to get the drums first. That is key because if, if I want to make people dance, you got to make sure that the kick and the bass are rocking. Otherwise, nobody's going to want to get up and dance. <laughs> so it this, this all kind of sounds a little rambly, but that's kind of my process in the sense of like being receptive to things, like being receptive to things, however they show up. So that could be, that could be like my thoughts or like, Somebody saying something important on a podcast that I pick up, or the way which the way in which they say something, the way in which they they voice something that I might not have thought about before, and have been like, "Oh, this is a good idea for a song," um, and whatnot. Uh, I think being receptive to that is good, and then also being receptive to the beat, the rhythm of the song. You always want to make sure that you have something super rhythmically sound when you're making music, um, and a lot of the artists that I gravitate towards. Uh, share that sort of same sentiment that uh, we need drums. We need to, we need drums to knock really well. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to you saying that the music and that the ideas come through you and you are just a vessel yeah. for them. Yeah. How did you get that idea? Well, um, I, I was raised Catholic. So, uh, understand i understood this idea that i was given these gifts and i'm sort of meant to be a steward of the gifts to spread the good news that's really the basic fundamental principle behind it so none of this i may be i may be something that's being i may be channeling the thing and i may be the the face and the voice of the thing but the idea itself is just this spark of divinity that doesn't come from me. It comes down like a lightning bolt and out through my mouth, essentially. That's how I think about it. Or out onto my phone when I'm just texting down a song idea or something. That's really all it is in terms of uh, how I think like that thing is. It, and it can be dangerous, too, because like that's not going to come all the time. That's a thing that just you you have to just consistently show up for it. Sort of like how Stephen Pressfield says that you have to be present and be ready for when the muse meets you. Um, you have to just be able to be present and know uh, the moment when that spark will hit you. Could you take us through a moment when you just said to yourself, that couldn't be me, that it had to be from something else. I don't know where that came from. Totally. Um, so I have two specific stories that I can tell about this. Uh, the first one was uh, the creation of serendipity. Um, and serendipity is, funnily enough, uh, that's, that's also like 
that's a great word to sort of describe what this sensation is when you feel it and you understand it and you know it. Um, so I was going into work uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it was like February, I think. It was like right before Valentine's Day, which was really I found really interesting too about really correlated to the story. Um, I was on the train. I was listening to a morning podcast. Um, it was Sarah Dietschy's That Creative Life. Shout out Sarah Dietschy. Um, she had on David Perel and Nick Sharma, uh, and they were talking about all different sorts of things. Um, but towards the end of the podcast, uh, Sarah brought up that that she wanted Dave to talk about the the idea of the serendipity vehicle, and that was an interesting thing because I had never heard serendipity be thought of in that way of like, oh yeah, you can use it as a means for a for a a, a vehicle to channel something through something like that. Um, I was like, cool. Uh, let's listen to what uh, what David has to say about it. And um, the fascinating thing was that uh, the North Star podcast that he had set up was just a thing with which he was channeling uh, his passion and his interest of talking with interesting people, sort of like what you're doing with this podcast. Um, and it just bounced around to the point where like his seventh episode, he ended up getting connected to Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he's talking with these incredibly, these incredibly big people right off the jump. Um, and I found that fascinating. It was like, if you're putting in the work towards something, you'll eventually get it because the ser the serendipity of the world will conspire to give it to you. And that was correlated so much to this idea of like, oh yeah, if you're going to put in the work to be a steward of the gifts that you've been given, the God and the, the universe around you is going to conspire to give you that thing. So I was like, I wonder if anybody's written a song like that as it pertains to a relationship. Um, and so that's where the idea of serendipity came from. And that was like, and I was like, oh, cool. And then I was listening to a lot of music where there was like a lot of rhythmic kind of like sounding things, um, which I found fascinating. And so I just wrote down serendipity and I dashed it out in a specific way so that it sounded so, so that it sounded in my head like serendipity is gonna be the key to your door. And that was all I had. And then I just kept adding it on from there and there. And it just kept adding up. Um, the second story was, it's a little bit, a little bit of a sadder story, but it, it pertains to the story behind Home Lives in You. Um, uh, back in 2019, both of uh, late 2018, yeah, late 2018, early 2019, within six months of each other, my grandparents on my mother's side passed away. Um, but uh, a couple of days after my grandmother passed away, um, I remembered a moment uh, that I had shared with her the last time that I had saw her. Um, and before I left, uh, my brother and I told her that we loved her. Um, and she gave us a smile. She wasn't talking, but she gave us a smile, almost as if to say everything's going to be all right. And it was just this really powerful, like, soul stirring moment and i reflect and after reflecting on it a bit 
I really did have like this epiphany type feeling where my chest swelled and I heard the, I basically had the chorus of the song uh, done. Like I knew what it was because I've always wanted to write. I had always wanted to write a song about like home is not a place. It's a state of mind. It's the people that you're around, but I didn't know how to express it, but I had the focal point of it, of knowing how to express it then. Cause it was just like, yeah, I know that growing up is hard to do. I'm not going to be around forever. And you're going to have to figure out how to do it yourself. But I have faith that you're going to be able to do it. And so with that, I just started, I just had, I basically just had the whole chorus. And then from there, the process of packing up my grandparents' house, a house that I would go to every Sunday for dinner, um, sort of led me to structuring the story of like, okay, this is a childhood thing that is going away. Um, I'm I, I'm so upset at myself for not holding on to it longer um, and taking it for granted. Um, and that was the story. And that was the story behind the whole the whole of that song of like, yeah, I'm not. I, I don't want to take this for granted anymore. But I did. Um, but even though that happened, somehow, some way, my the people who came before are trying to communicate the message of it's going to be fine it's going to be okay you're going to get through it because i have faith in you and even though i'm not going to be around the home that i set up for you and the feeling of home that i set up for you is going to live within you and you're going to bring it to other people and that i think that i think was the key message and that was like whew, that was like a, a really really stirring moment that i had when when sort of being receptive to that idea because it could have, it could have gone a lot of different ways. And uh, yeah, I'm just grateful that it showed up to for, for me, like in that way. My condolences. And thank you. You know, it's um, how do you think about bringing something like that to a creative process? Did, did any part of you say, you know, I don't want to publish a song like this or, or I need to, like, how did you think about the creative process when it involves such a, your heart and your mm -hmm. soul? Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I didn't know, um, but I, I was very fortunate. And, and I think this has been the case throughout my entirety of figuring out how to be a songwriter is that I have been presented the the key or the opportunity to be like, this is a door that you can open for yourself uh, before uh, I actually made the full thing. So I, as it pertains to how I first started songwriting, I found John Bellion's videos and was like, wow, this is something that I've done in terms of writing arrangements for my acapella group in college, where I'm just using my voice as an instrument, I can do this as a production technique. And this is like, somebody is giving me permission to do this. And uh, I thought that was really, really beautiful thing. And it, it, serendipitously enough, um, it was another John Bellion song that gave me the permission to be like, no, I can, I can present this because somebody's going to need it because uh I heard this song off of his most recent album called Ma's Joint, where he talks about 
seeing his mother take care of his grandmother as, as she was dying from Alzheimer's. And I was like, holy cow. I, I resonated with it on so many levels that the first time I heard it, I just started weeping. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my goodness, somebody can do this for somebody. That was when I was like, I realized the true, true power of songwriting is like somebody can give somebody else this cathartic emotional experience. And that's the thing that I try and chase with my writing. Um, I know I'm not going to get there all the time, but I know it's something that I really want to do for somebody um, so that they can have the time to process some of their emotions in ways they might not have thought they would be able to process it. Um, And so it just gave, it it was like another moment of like, it gave me permission to want to share that type of a song with the world. And I think that's just something that we really need to do for creators is that like, we just need to make sure that, we're setting things up for everybody so that we can give them the permission to share the stories that they might not necessarily know that they want to share, but actually it's deep within their soul and they need to tell it. When you write a song or you publish a song, are you thinking about one person? Are you thinking about yourself hearing it? How do you think about the consumer when you're going through your process? Yeah. Uh, writing the song, it's me. It's primarily me. And I'm taking almost, I'm taking the, I'm taking the point of view of the audience member. Um, I think it's important to be a fan of your own work. Um, because otherwise, if you're not a fan of your own work, then nobody else is going to be a fan of your own work. Uh, so I, when I'm writing, I, I like to, sometimes I'll have moments when like, for example, the the story of how I came up with the idea of can't see past 30 and the hook behind that. Um, I was in the shower and I came up with the idea and immediately I heard in my head, I heard a whole crowd of people singing the song in my head. And I knew I was like, that's, that's the key of like, if you can hear people singing it, if you can hear people singing that hook in your head, then you've got something. You might not necessarily know if it's a hit. You might not necessarily know it might, and it might not necessarily be a hit, but you've got something. So you might want to chase that with all, with, with everything, every fiber of your being, you know? Totally. And, you know, it's so interesting that you say that because like, that is so true. If you can imagine a crowd screaming that those lyrics, then it's probably something. But at the same time, you have another lyric that says like all this talk about going viral is making you sick. (laughs) yeah and so how do you juxtapose and think about those two dichotomies dude it's such a living paradox isn't it like we (laughs) want to we want to be famous but we don't want to be famous if that makes sense 100 percent. i know exactly what you're talking about but explain it for people who yeah haven't thought about it like that so um i had two instances a couple of years ago where i went viral on the internet or somewhat viral on the internet and they were just based off of like covers and it was if honestly the the real secret to going viral is that you can't aim for virality you have to just contribute something and that contribution will eventually be like oh yes i too agree with this thing it's sort of like a it's sort of like you're trying to take the thing that you're good at and making it the most common and basic 
that it could possibly be to be the most easily communicable thing because you only have a limited span of time to be able to communicate those ideas, especially on short form apps like Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all those places. Um, so I did that a couple of times I, and I just, and I would do the, to test the water. I would use the acapella app. There's an application where you can record multiple heads of talking heads of yourself, singing things to a click track. And, uh, I did that, uh, several times and two of those instances went viral. The first time I was adding on to a guy playing like a, doing like a, an acoustic version of fly me to the moon, but instead of just singing fly me to the moon, he was rapping it. Um, and what I did was I just added harmonies over it. And then by way of him sharing it, it tangentially went viral. And I ended up DMing with James Corden because he had seen the video, he had seen people add on to it and he retweeted it and then went straight to my DMs and was like, hey, I loved your voice. And I was like, wow, thanks famous person, James Corden. Um, he was really nice about it. And I, I, I'm really grateful that he had like, just some sort of level of like, yeah, no, I really love, I, this is like, I could sense the passion for harmonies and theater and like kind of the things that he telegraphs on the Late Late Show. Um, and that went viral. And then I did a cover on Instagram of uh, a song off the Jonas Brothers' most recent album. And Joe Jonas saw it because I tagged him in it and he shared it. Wow. And so instantly I just had like this barrage of people being like, oh my goodness, this is so good. And so all of these interesting and cool opportunities that you would think be like, oh my goodness, you did the thing. You did the thing. What? Yeah. And then, but you're sitting there and you're kind of sit, like, I remember sitting there and going through the whole thing and I just felt so empty. And like, there was nothing fun about it. Like, I, nothing. And it goes back to the whole thing of like, you were, you were, you, you spoke about a podcast where it was that I talked about the art of nourishment. That's what I mean by nourishment. You can make as many Big Macs as you want in terms of putting out media or something that feeds the content beast, so to speak. But it's not going to make you whole and it's not going to make the people that are, on the receiving end of the, of the stuff that you're putting out whole. You really want to make sure that you're setting up like the idea of this, like nourishing steak dinner, essentially through your music. Um, mm. And doing that online is really challenging because you have to strike a balance of, you have to be relevant on time and consistent with everything. And that is a challenge, especially when you're doing creative work. Um, so what I have been trying to figure out and sort of the process of writing Nobody Knows My Name, the song which you were talking about, um, lends to this thought process of like, this is how I need to think about those things. Um, I sat there going like, no. Isn't it awesome that nobody, like I went viral twice. Nobody knows who I am still. It's beautiful. I can go out and I can live my life. Because if, if they did, I think I would lose my mind. Like I wouldn't, if I wouldn't be able to leave my house without being hounded by people, like the way that celebrities are, it just, that affects you on such a psychological level. And geez, like I can only, I can only, like, I can only fathom, like that's the amount of like attention 
famous people receive on the daily. Like all of those accolades of just swarming in of like, or and, and not even just accolades, but like praise, criticism, hate, all those kinds of things. You're kind of just like, you sit back and you're like, no, nobody, nobody should want that kind of thing. As much as we try and chase it out of some sort of like psychological need to be heard and seen and felt, nobody should have, nobody should want that. No. <laughs> Tim Ferriss has got a great post called like 17 reasons why you sh- don't want to be famous, which I highly recommend everyone check out. And he mm. talks about his experience in, in detail and I'll, yeah. I'll link it in the show notes. But, you know, you mentioned that no part of it made you feel whole. But what about when you got that DM from that dude, James, what was his James, name? James, James Corden. Yeah. James, um, that that didn't make you feel nourished or that was that didn't do it for you i think in hindsight it feels a little bit nourishing to know that like somebody that big firmly says you're all it's almost like it's almost like a message saying you're on the right track Keep yep going a wink from um, god is yeah. how I, I think about it exactly the magic of serendipity if you will. Um, but I mean, in the moment I was just kind of shocked. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, cause, cause there was all this other input that was happening at the exact same time. It wasn't just like somebody came in out of nowhere and was like, this is the guy. This is like, I want to talk with you and interact with you. It was kind of just, and also it was, I mean, as personal as he was and as, as great as that interaction was, he probably does that a lot with things that like he connects with. Mm. Um, And it can be hard to sort of discern what from what in that case, you know? Um, So while I am grateful for that serendipitous moment of God winking at me, (laughs) um, I see it for what it is now and I'm grateful for it. Um, But in the moment, it just didn't, there was nothing that was like, there was nothing nourishing about it because I, I think it was almost like, it was almost like you were, you were served like a nice strip steak while all of these French fries were being pelted in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting way to put it. So what is the vision? The vision is to enjoy day by day, you know, like, if you say to yourself, okay, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be famous. Yeah. So what it, what is the, the path for Dan Purcell? You know, um, I don't know. And I, I think that. that's, I think that's the most freeing thing. Like I have an idea of what maybe I want to do. Um, but I'm also content, like being able to do this on the side because it's afforded me opportunities like speaking with you right now. Like two years ago, I had an idea to make a thing and I wanted it to exist for people to find. And then you find it and resonate with it and ask me to come on this to, to speak with you. And I think that's, that's such, that's such an amazing thing. And the exact kind of level of nourishment that I was looking for when making this thing, you know? Um, So I think I kind of want to do that, but for other people, I want to be, not to keep not to keep citing the path that he has taken me down, but 
John Bellion has been doing this again and again and again for so many artists and so many fandoms. Like, he's been writing for K-pop stars. He's been writing for Justin Bieber. He's been writing for Demi Lovato. Yeah, he's writing for Demi Lovato and Christina Aguilera, Katy Perry, all these big superstars with huge devoted followings. And he taps into them like he knows exactly who they are and what they want on a fundamental level and connects with them and writes something so pertinent to them um, to the point where it's like he's made a career out of it. And I think Mm. that is the coolest thing. And I want to do that. That's like... (laughs) That's that is an end goal of mine. Um, whether or not it happens, I really don't know. But I'm willing to let serendipity take me where it, it, it will lead me in regards to that. Do you think that John Bellion needed to be John Bellion in order to do everything that he's done? Do you need, in other words, for those who aren't familiar with John Bellion, do you think that he needed to reach a certain level? of putting himself out there of, you know, creating these mass hits. And then that gave him the opportunity. Yeah. Because I don't think he, I think, I mean, I don't want to speak for him and I'm not, I'm not his therapist or anything, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but just from the trajectory of his career, he just like, he went from based on all the, all the podcasts and material I've listened to, he wanted to get out and he wanted to do, he had this, he had this calling to do, to be the steward of the gifts that he had been given, but mm-hmm. he didn't know what that looked like. And at one point, I think he might have thought that it was an artist thing. But then Cara Diagordi found him and he was like, and she was like, you need to be in all these sessions with all these different songwriters pitching music to all these big artists. And he's like, you know what, you're right. I need to learn. I need to study the craft. And that's kind of the thing that I've always done from square one, like going back to the whole, like being a mimic, understanding people's voices, learning how they work, learning the trade and learning the trade of drawing, watching things. I would watch, I would watch TV and watch cartoons and I would pay attention to how things looked and try to remember them and draw how to remember, like draw them from memory. Um, So he was somebody who just like, fully understood that it was a craft journey and that you needed to, you needed to develop those instincts so that they are as sharp as a knife. When somebody asks you to make something incredible, you need to get into the studio and make something incredible, set up the environment. So that way they can be, so that way they can be nourished by the experience of working with the person you want to, you really want to feed people with, with the, with the gifts that you've been given. Um, and I think that his career has been nothing but doing that. And it's transformed into a thing where he is he has been in these group songwriting sessions making these huge hits for other artists. Cause like, I mean, like you you can't just count out those other the rest of that team, like Michael Pollitt, Jason Evigan, Amy Adams, all the songwriting people that are primarily more on the songwriting side as opposed to um being artist artists, you know. Um the fact that he's able to live within between both worlds and understands what each world kind of needs is really fascinating. Something that is a lot of people are looking at him as inspiration for, and, and a lot of people are starting to pioneer a little bit more like the Julia Michaels and JP Saxes of the world who are, who are like 
writing songs like If the World Was Ending, who, which was like a Grammy Award nominate, uh, nominated or Grammy Grammy Award nominated song. Um, but they like they cut their teeth writing for other people. And so it's all just like you, you study the craft and you sort of figure out where you're sort of where you are as a cog in this whole sort of like songwriting industry, music industry type thing and how you work. And if you work and it, everything starts to synchronize around you, all the opportunities are going to come your way because you you figured out the way to sort of be the effective thing that that will serve other people in the best possible way. And it's all from a it's all from a place of extreme compassion and empathy and love, you know, which is cool. One hundred percent. You know what I've noticed about you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you are so, you're such an incredible consumer of different people from a wide range of creatives. And you are making the connection with Sarah Dietschy and David Perel to some of these musically gifted people where, you know, up until 12 months ago, I thought, oh, if someone's creative, that means they're a good artist or a good musician. But it Mm -hmm. seems like you've just the spectrum for what you believe creativity is, is so wide. Mm-hmm. So where does that come from to be able to see creativity in everything? It comes back to the whole fundamental thing of like, everything's a story, man. You know, <laughs> it, like we've all got a path and we've, whether or not, whether we know it or not, we're sort of on this trajectory towards something. Um, and that's beautiful. And and how we express it is how we express it. You could be a chef. You could be a scientist. You could be a mathematician, uh, a statistician, uh, a public servant, or anything. Everything is storytelling. Everything is how you are expressing yourself to connect with other people. Um, and uh, I think taking from all different sources points of inspiration is is crucial to – I mean – I think I am a very, very small minutia of people in terms of like how much I absorb like a sponge because I'm just so fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by information, I think, um, and the people delivering it. Uh, but I encourage people to just have that sort of sponge brain type mentality where you find you find the humility of your, you, you, you find humility within the things that you're learning. So that way you can be receptive to how they lend to your worldview and how they, how you, how everything kind of combines to help you orient and be like, Oh, right. So this leads to this leads to this. And I, it makes sense in my brain. Um, making those connections uh, requires a lot of expansion beyond what you might know. And and understand and understanding that you will not know everything, and that's okay. How would you recommend someone who doesn't feel like they have a sponge brain? Mm. Of how would you recommend building that trait? That's hard. I, I find I, I it's it it's I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell you like my I think my mind is like to an extent biologically suited to it because it, because it is, it is like chemically wants to know the thing, you know? Um, I, 
it, it comes down to the whole idea that we were talking about of like being receptive as opposed to putting the walls up, you know, you want to be able to take the walls down, be able to like, what is, what is this trying to tell me and understanding and internalizing that? Like, how is this, does this pertain to me or does it not pertain to me? Can I throw it out or do, should I keep it or should I pass it on to somebody else? Um, I think yeah, all that, all, any kind of information has a purpose and it's either to help or serve as an obstacle for you to sort of problem solve around, you know? And I think that's, I think that's important to remember. Like don't treat, don't treat ideas that you might come in conflict with, with full hostility. You need to be able to say, why is, why is this obstacle in front of me? And how can I, solve the problem that it might be posing to my head and how does it how does it reflect on me and my worldview is there an example you could point to of you doing that hmm. <laughs> um i started i've started learning a lot about systemic psychology um in terms of how our beliefs affect the systems around us and how we react on a systemic level to things. So like we're sort of, we're built with these human beings and the world happens at us. <laughs> All just sort of events happen at us and it's our job on a, on a physiological uh, subconscious level to react to those things. And so the way in which we react to those things determine how the systems in our lives sort of balance out. And being aware of those things, like being aware of those things and understanding how to better balance yourself so that the systems can rebalance themselves out in new and exciting ways, I think is really important because if you understand what you're like in the context of the relationship with your parents, you understand what the context of who you are in the relationship with your friends, your significant other, your siblings, uh, your relatives, all those kinds of things, how, how you function within those things. And you figure out how to change so that way you can bring more of your authentic self into the conversation of those systems. Things will shift around you and things will change to the point where I think things will start to balance out a little bit more for you. And being, being receptive to that idea was really fascinating because you think being set in your ways and understanding like the way the world works there isn't anything that there might not necessarily be anything psychological that I can learn more from a therapist or something like that, but it took a life coach and it took him illustrating those ideas of systemic psychology to help me understand like, Oh no, 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 no. I need to. And, and then suddenly when I started talking about it with my parents, they were like, Oh no, no, yeah, that's exactly what you need to do. And I was like, Oh really? He was like, no, you need to be more aggressive in life, man. You need to you need to be able to move powerfully towards the things that you want in life. And I was like, oh, cool, interesting. And then I and I brought that up with my parents. And I was like, no, you've always been kind of like a little bit more like shy about about the things that you want in life. So it was fascinating to hear that confirmation. Be like, oh, now I can now I can figure out how to start balancing myself out better and be receptive to the idea that like there's a whole new part of me that I have yet to discover who he is, but I'm so excited when I get there. Okay. So you're working with this life coach. What was that like? And how did you start that process? And 
what have been some of the key learnings other than than that that you can share with us from that process? Yeah. Um, I won't dive into too much of the illustrations because some of the things were personal, but um, I learned about this guy through, funny enough, um, a comedian. Um, he was starting a podcast with him, with another comedian. He was, and this coach is a specialist in systemic psychology and sports psychology. He has a master's in both. Um, and, uh, he really is fascinated by people. Like he finds people so incredibly interesting, whether or not, like, no matter who they are, if you, if you watch, if you watch videos of him interacting with people, he'll just be like, Hmm, interesting. And then we'll, he'll make a comment about somebody. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's wonderful. The fact that there's somebody out there who's so invested in people that want and, and, and somebody who wants to see them succeed in all facets of their life. We need more people like that. Um, and I was fascinated by the techniques and the ways in which he was kind of just studying people and helping them reorient their sense of who they are and how they're, how they're moving through life. So I wanted to, I wanted to experience it myself. Um, fortunately the podcast offered a discounted session with him, um, through like an opportunity. And so I was able to get a one-on-one with him and he taught me all these things about systemic psychology, about like who I am and what I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to orient myself in order to interact with not only just people on like a psychological level and personality level, but also on like a deep biological level, why I am and how my body reacts in the way it does to things. It was really cool. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's hard because sessions like that, um, with any coach in particular can be expensive. Um, but if you are able to, if you have the flexibility and the time and the opportunity to do so, I would just make sure that you're saving up money to just be able to have that opportunity to have perspective shifting moments like that. And it does, it may not necessarily even come through the lens of a life coach. It might come from through the lens of deep conversations that you have with friends or mentors or peers in your life. Um, Yeah, I think that's another way to sort of be receptive and be able to pick out the information uh, in the world to sort of be able to uh, be uh, better understand yourself and how to, and how to better orient, orient yourself according to the, the way the rest of the world works. Yeah. With the conversations, that's been the biggest benefit of the podcast has been learning about myself and from seeing so many different perspectives. And it's totally. what I recommend everybody, even if you don't, you're not going to start a podcast, put your phone down, press record and talk to you a parent or a friend for 60 minutes and say, I'm going to just direct questions at you. I'm going to learn from you. And I think it's a great way to learn not only about the other person, but also learn about yourself. Yeah. Because then you start to understand like, and then once you start absorbing that information, you start, you start to get more curious. Yeah. You start to get more curious as the way, uh, the way in which the world goes. So you start looking at books, you start watching videos, you start listening to podcasts, you start doing all those things. Um, and I think I have, I've been very fortunate that I was able to find my thing, you know, 
the, the, the gift right away when I was like seven, you know, the idea of like, I'm going to do art stuff and mm-hmm. being curious about that sort of led me down that rabbit hole and has afforded me the opportunity to, to be able to have and think about those sorts of things. Um, so, I mean, it's a platitude that might have been said over and over again somewhere, but chase curiosity because mm-hmm. more often than not, that'll lead to the things that you're most passionate about and the things that, uh, I think ultimately we're, we're meant to do in this life. You know, we're supposed to, the, the things that maybe not even, it might not even be career oriented, but just the things that we're meant to, to do. What inspires you to chase curiosity? Oh, geez. Wow. <laughs> That's profound. I think I'm wired that way to an extent. It may not, I mean, yeah, that's hard. That, that's a hard question because I don't think I fully understand it yet. Um, but I think there's a part of me that on, a, on like a biological level that seeks and wants to know that knowledge. Um, and it's unfortunate because I wish I could give that to everybody else. I just want to be able to take my brain or take the chunks of my brain and the heart that I'm like, this is what makes me optimistic. This is what makes me hopeful. This is what makes me uh, curious. This is what makes me inquisitive. Uh, I want to give them to everybody because I think if everybody was like that, uh, the world would be a little bit more interesting. Um, but also, I am me. And I cannot be anybody else other than myself. And neither can you and neither can anybody else. So. You know, you you try and do it as best you can, but you have to have you have to have that fundamental sense of like be inquisitive and compassionate for the people that are around you, and then you will find you will find the stories. You will not, yeah, you'll you'll not only find the stories that you're meant to tell, but the people you're meant to be with in your life. It's beautiful, man. What? Do you have any other ideas for us before we wrap this baby up? Any other things for us to explore? This has been a lot of fun. You know, uh, I heard a thing um, on Tim Ferriss's podcast where he was talking with Stephen Pressfield and Stephen Pressfield said, life is long. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Life is long. Um, I'd like to amend it a little bit because uh, I think life can get cut short. So we often think about that, how like we often roll, we're, we're often like life is short, do the thing. And like, that's important. Um, no doubt. So I would like to amend it too. life is longer than you think and more precious than you can imagine. Because just like we're given the shot every single day, the world gives you another day every day. And and like that was the that was the thesis statement of 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 uh, I like that I had that idea long before I wrote the song. Um, I wrote down every day is another day, and it is neutral. You can interpret it however you want, but if you write down every day is another day, 
and tack it on the wall. You can wake up and you can interpret it however you want. If you're waking up and facing the day and charging full on, every day is another day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're like, if you really need a break, if you really need to like calm yourself down, if you need like a moment of like, you're stuck from the grind and like, you're just like, I don't know if I can do this. Every day is another day. You can take that day. You can take that day. And that's really, that's it. That's like, you have to, you have to know how you react to the world in order to understand how you react to the day. And if you have something like that, just, in a, just a neutral thing, a neutral phrase, not an inspirational phrase, not in any, just a neutral phrase, like every day is another day. You will meet every single day very differently, but it will still give you some sort of sense of wholeness that you're just like, you're given this opportunity to do something today. So do it. My mind is blown with that explanation. I'm so grateful for you, Dan. Where can people find you for more of your insights, of your thoughts, and for your music? Yeah. Um, so I, you can find me uh, on Spotify, on Apple Music, on any sort of, I think, any sort of li- listening platform that anybody can listen to. Um, the EP is fully out. I, I rolled it out song by song, um, but it's fully out now. It's called Day by Day. Um, and I have a supplementary podcast that goes with it. It almost serves like as a deluxe commentary edition of the of the, the record. Um, and it's, that podcast is called Tape by Tape. I did it with uh, my friend um, and podcaster, CJ. Um, and it's really fun. Um, and... If you type my name in Dan Purcell, Dan P U R C E L C E L L, you're bound to find podcasts, videos, things I've done. You know, I have a lot. Like, there's a lot of long stuff that's I've just I've been around on the internet since high school, so you'll probably find something of mine. Um, if you want to get in touch with me directly. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Dan Purcell, the Dan P U R C E L L. That's the easiest way to reach me. If you want to tweet at me or send me a DM saying, talking about anything that you, we might've discussed here or on another podcast or whatever. If you want to talk, if you want to talk to me about gleaming the cube, the movie that for that stars Christian Slater about skateboarding in the 19 in the 1980s that features Tony Hawk as a supporting character. It is it's one of the most fascinating movies I've ever seen and um if you love gleaming the cube go check it out and talk to me about it on there if you if you're a fan. Like I'm a hardcore mo- movie fan too as well. So if you want to talk movies about me, I can do that all day too. The creativity knows no bounds. Thank you, Dan, for your time. I'm super grateful. And I'm very grateful that you have given me this opportunity to also kind of suss out my own thoughts and feelings. Like every single time I have a conversation with somebody, like boom, I'm I'm new thing about myself that I've learned. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity to not only speak with you uh, and speak with the audience of your podcast, but also just to sort of speak with myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel the same way. And Thank you so much.
Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. If you did, it would mean the world to me if you shared it with a friend. Thank you for listening from the bottom of my heart. If you have any thoughts or feedback about the episode, the best place to let me know is on Twitter, at HeyDannyMiranda. And that's all for me. I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.